and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. The World Cup is underway. The Grey Cup was yesterday. The Vanier Cup is on Saturday, and it's not just a cup check. No, American Thanksgiving around the corner means even more whole grain goodness is on its way, as well as full slates in the NBA and NHL, including six Canadian teams tonight. All that, and Jesse Rubinoff is back in the saddle. Welcome back. Oh, boy. Hi, Timmy. Love seeing you tear it up on Sportsnet Central. How was it? It was fun. It was fun uh, with FaZe and my boy Eric Thomas. We had a good time. Uh, very enjoyable. Nights are a bit different. Is FaZe not your boy? No, I just I started with him, so I threw Eric at my boy because I put Faisal first. But I just worked but with the both Faisal. your dudes. Of course. Yeah, okay. 100%. Sure. Yeah. No, 100%. Uh, yeah, sleep schedule was a little off, but <laughs> that's, that's the way it goes. Are this you a bit of, of a business. night hawk or no? I was for... No, yeah. no, I mean in life. No. No, you're like a go-to-bed-at-nine guy. No, no, I'm a night hawk because when you work here, like it's been a right. decade here for me. Eight years or so, almost nine years of working at night, you become used to it. Yeah, so, I've been doing. I did it until I got. Like, you're the an Tim and Sid. I know you are. You're an ETB. No, no, I'm not even close to an ETB. <laughs> oh, you're an LTB. I, I have been. I've worked shift work my entire life. When I was a kid, I did overnights at a storage dock. Like I have always been overnights. It's not until I got the Tim and Sid on the radio mm. gig where I started working days. And now, yes, every once in a while, I am early to bed. <laughs> right. But it's just because I need my sleep. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. I have kids. You wake up early. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. But normally I'm up at midnight one, depending on who's playing. Yeah. Uh, and shout out to Kev. Did a phenomenal job. Caught a lot of the show, so great job. Your boy Kevin Mickey. Yeah. My boy. That's three. That's three. Three boys. We're going to get to the Leafs, <laughs> Oilers, Flames, Jets, Sens, and Canucks. And how some Canadian fan bases kind of sort of need to relax. Well, everyone except for Vancouver. We'll do that with Mike Feudal a little bit later on. We'll do it in game time. End of the show as we get you set for 10 games in the NHL tonight. Five on the Sportsnet family of channels, including Monday Night Hockey right here on Sportsnet. Listen, the Grey Cup did not disappoint once again and fresh off a great dad moment as well as becoming just the second player in CFL history to be named both the most outstanding player and the most outstanding Canadian in the Grey Cup. Enoch Mwamba will join us right here on Tim and Friends. Our NFL analyst Brock Vereen, his dad, played in the CFL, and we will break down week number 11 in the NFL with Brock a little later on. Four games in the World Cup, and we've already got just a wee bit to talk about. We will do that with our old friend James Sharman. And in first things first, Jesse, so let's get right in with the highlights. Let's put it out on the flank. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. That's right, kids. We're back. Let's get right into it. As if the opener of Qatar and Ecuador didn't provide enough storylines on and off the pitch, game two of perhaps the most controversial World Cup ever, ever just happened to be England and Ireland. <laughs> uh, excuse me, England and Iran. A few storylines on and off the pitch as well. On the pitch, though, it was mainly three Lions. That's right, kids. Euro 2020 finalists England have not won a World Cup since 1966. Is it coming home? Well, 43rd minute, already 1-0. 
Bukayo Saka fires it off the bar and in. 21-year-old's first World Cup goal, and it is 2-0. First half stoppage time. Harry Kane crosses in. Raheem Sterling. Oh, Jürgen! Beautiful leaping volley. It's 3-0. 62nd minute. Saka cuts in. Youngest player to score two-plus goals in his World Cup debut since Franz Beckenbauer in 1966. Jesse. 4-0 England, 89th minute. It is Jack Grealish taking the feed from Sterling. Blowout. 6-2 is what England puts up on Iran. Backdoor final there. Still in Group B with Wales and the United States of America. U.S. playing in their first World Cup match in Brazil. 2014, Wales making their first appearance since 1958. You can see how much it meant to the Welsh. A wonderful anthem. This one not drowned out by the host broadcaster like the Iranian one. <clears throat> 36 minute, Christian Pulisic, great through ball. Timothy Weah runs onto it. And the son of former Ballon d'Or winner, George Weah scores his first World Cup goal. USA up 1-0 at the break. 64th minute, Ben Davies comes flying in with the header, Matt Turner. Great save there, but in the 80th minute, Walker Zimmerman goes through Gareth Bale. That is a penalty, and the opportunity for Bale to score the first World Cup goal in 64 years for Wales, no mistake. They draw the United States of America in game one, one apiece, and isn't that a shot? Those are the reasons why we play these games and not the bureaucrats who make most of the money. All right, let's go to Group A. Senegal and the Netherlands, third matchup of the day. Netherlands back in the World Cup after failing to qualify in 2018, 84th minute, still scoreless. Cody Gakbo is the name indeed. Netherlands first shot on target and it is 1-0, 86th minute. Pop Gay tries a shot from distance and how about this? Six foot eight keeper, Andries Noper gets all of his six foot eight down to parry it wide of the net and because of it, stoppage time, Davy Clausen buries a rebound off a Memphis Depay shot and Netherlands get their first win 2-0 the final so three games in the books Jesse four games total when you combine Ecuador and mm -hmm. Qatar and already some real interesting results in this well first of all I feel like if you were six foot eight you might be playing in the World Cup I've heard some things about your instincts but you know sometimes it just comes down to you got to be a little bit yeah, taller. Yeah, and I didn't play until I was 18 years old. Those, yeah, those are probably no, two things that kept me out of that. the World Cup. <laughs> One, I'm not 6'8", and two, I didn't play soccer until I was like 19 with my friends. It's all good. Okay, uh, let's, let's begin <laughs> so with no. what you just saw, uh, Netherlands, because I know that you have mentioned that um, somewhat of a dark horse for you. Watching them, did anything change in that opinion today? Well, there's been kind of a roller coaster of emotions when it comes to the Dutch, and that is because of ne Memphis Depay's hamstring. Kind of sort of similar to with Alfonso Davies in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden ruled out yesterday, gets into this game, and as soon as he gets into this game, it just so happens that the Netherlands score two goals and take their opener 2-0 <laughs> over a decent 
Canadian Senegal fans would take, yeah, Canadian fans would take that sort of chain of events for Davies. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> no uh, I think they'd be nervous as hell if he didn't start, and I think people are still nervous as hell mm-hmm. about Depay, despite the fact that he is actually in the lineup for the Netherlands. The fact that he didn't start is a tad bit worrying, but taking out the African champs 2-0 in game number one, a solid start. And then, of course, I'm not saying it's coming home, but that has to be an absolute dream start for England to have the kids lead the way, quite literally. Jude Bellingham scores the Mm -hmm. first goal of the World Cup for England. It's the first time two players 21 or under scored in a single World Cup game for England. We knew there was a generation of great players coming for England and when you are when you have the depth to bring Phil Foden off the bench for England listen James Sharman is going to join us a little bit later on I think there are some concerns here not the least of which Harry Kane's apparent ankle injury and how serious that is Harry Maguire looked like he took a knock now you can argue with England fans whether or not that's a good or bad thing for this squad but they literally jumped out of the gate and to have the kids lead the way, I think, is a real good sign for England moving forward. Game one, mm-hmm. Iran, with some of their own pressures outside the pitch, kind of sort of maybe leading to the beatdown that they took today. But that is the dream start. Not only do they get the 6-2 win, not only do the kids get them off the, off the schneid here, but also a draw in their group. Dream start for England. Uh, over, under, on how many times we hear the term, it's coming home during the World Cup? Yeah, I feel like, and, and let me say this, because I, I, I <laughs> yeah. opened with it, and I was it was kind of sort of tongue-in-cheek. But we're going to hear it from people who don't know what they're talking about a lot. Yeah, we'll probably hear it, like, seriously, probably over 200 times in this studio alone. And, and can we say that every time that you hear it, it is sort of tongue-in-cheek. It's kind of a joke among the English fans. Yes. It's not a real thing. No. Uh, finally, For some. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Final thing that I want to get to before we move on to Canada, because obviously a pretty important match coming up on Wednesday. Um, Wales and USA, uh, LAFC, obviously Gareth Bale played a a very big role in uh, having them win the MLS final. Uh, LAFC supporting one of their own, despite Wales taking on the U.S., tweeting out a picture of Gareth Bale today, uh, cut or uncut, in your opinion. I mean, I, I guess that happens in a lot of different spots these days. Uh, the game is so worldwide, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Scoring against club versus country, uh, I think we'd see that in other countries. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Uh, okay. Why don't we move on to uh, Canada? Because, as you mentioned, the injury with the Dutch, Davies looming very large in this situation as well. But it appears that he is healthy enough and good to go against second-ranked. That's Belgium. what he says. So... You know how important that is. There's also a pretty significant injury on the, the Belgian side as well. Romelu Lukaku will not be playing in the first two matches for Belgium. How big of a loss do you think that is Let's for the Belgians? Let's be very side? careful about what we report as fact right now. John Herman is the type to play mind games. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many that suggested even the idea of holding Davies and Eustachio out of training was John Herdman playing mind games. I have no idea whether or not Davies is going to go, and even if he wasn't going to go, would Herdman send Davies out to James Duffy, sit down and say, you are ready to play, so that Belgium has to prepare for what is Canada's best player. I hope, 
that Alfonso Davies is good to go. I hope Steven Nostacchio is good to go. And I kind of sort of think, given uh, the, the rumors about Lukaku coming in, that he's not going to play. But this is the World Cup. You have one or two games to get through to the next round. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So there are gaffers, there are managers, there are head coaches that are going to play mind games. And I wouldn't be surprised if any of this is mind games. If, in fact, Eustachio's good, Davies good, they play full 90 minutes, Lukaku's out, then Canada's got a better chance against Belgium. They are still, as you saw there, vast underdogs Yes, against the world number two team in Belgium, though I don't believe in FIFA rankings. It gives you an idea of what you're looking at. And what you're looking at is quite potentially one of the bigger upsets mm-hmm. that we've ever seen if Canada mm. were to beat Belgium. But... We won't get there. Just yet. a tad, tad bit, tad bit more like, well, still not likely, but a tad bit easier with Lukaku not playing. The leading scorer for them in qualifying. Yeah, but and Mishi Bashway can score goals, history. and he scores goals repeatedly for country. Yeah, I know good. he's he's bounced around clubs, and people are saying, yeah, that's not Lukaku, but he's still a world class play, player. He knows Hutchison well from Besiktas mm-hmm. because before he made the move to Fenerbahce, he was playing with Hutchison and Laren at Besiktas. So there's some familiar there and it's not a huge drop though Lukaku is better than Bashway. So it's going to be tough but still everyone's excited. Uh, Okay very difficult to separate sport from politics at this World Cup and after some ridiculous comments from FIFA President Gianni Infantino over the weekend more troubling stories today several European teams that were planning to wear one love armbands to promote inclusion and oppose discrimination announced they would not be wearing them after FIFA threatened to punish the team captains with yellow cards. Iranian fans with Persian flags were barred from entering today's match against England. And during the anthem, Iranian players refused to sing while fans in the stands booed, though some accused the broadcast of drowning them out. How do you reconcile all of this, Timmy? It's a lot. Yeah, I'm growing weary. (laughs) I think that sports as a whole needs to be very careful here. The greed is becoming too much. Like, we all knew that there was greed and there has been greed since day one. But the levels of greed, Jesse, Mm -hmm. like where we're going for this greed is becoming almost comical. And I'm telling you right now, there are a lot of groups really pushing the envelope on that greed and I'm telling you they need to be prepared for a little bit of pushback. I think that's what we're seeing over the last few days, few weeks, and depending on who you listen to, about 12 years. The first couple of days of this thing have been littered with hypocrisy, like flat-out ridiculousness. The one armband getting one love. It says one love on the armband, and they're going to get a yellow card for wearing that. It's ridiculous, but we knew this would be the case 12 years ago when they awarded a World Cup to a country of less than 3 million, smaller than Connecticut. I don't care if it's uh, shipping crates in the middle of the desert or tents that have absolutely nothing but sand underneath and a carpet over top. That said, one of the greatest lines ever uttered on Tim and Sid came from the mouth of Dan Rather, who said to us that sunlight is the greatest disinfectant. Adapted from Louis Brandeis, the idea is so true in so many different respects. Listen. The World Cup in Qatar is most definitely a paradox, a living, breathing contradiction. And given where we find ourselves in the world, yelling and screaming our side of the story, rarely listening to the other side of the story, rarely spending time on nuance, it was ironically enough Barack Obama who, when 
addressing the tension of duality said it's both possible and necessary to see the paradoxes, the ambiguities, and the gray areas along with the absurdities, but not be paralyzed by them. It's absolutely true. We need to bring the sunlight to the corruption, the tainted vote, the alarming human rights abuses, the regimes, the ridiculousness of armbands, air conditioning, outdoor stadiums, or listening to a FIFA president compare being a migrant worker or, God forbid, gay in some parts of the world to that of the plight of being a redhead with freckles. Dear God, we actually heard that from a human being. These are all heavy and nuanced conversations. And yes, yes, this can all be true, discussed, debated, and they should be, without taking away from the importance of one of the world's biggest stages being set up in the Arab world, to watch an opening ceremony and see my Muslim brothers and sisters and their culture celebrated is important, period. To see kids from all walks of life come together and share joy on a pitch is important. Period. And it's okay to hold those people accountable for the machine that these types of events have become. And it's also okay to allow the young men and women who have worked their entire life to achieve this dream to enjoy the culmination of all that work. Like, I realize we find ourselves trying to reconcile this kind of paradox, this kind of conflict, way too often in sports, be it an NFL owner who's a real douchebag, a baseball Hall of Fame candidate, an NBA player or owner offending people, or just Canada hockey. And it can weigh down some of the things that we absolutely love, but that's just the way it is. And to be honest, it may be necessary to have the debates that too many people these days are scared to have outside of the friendly confines of sports. For decades, closing on centuries, sports has frequently forced uncomfortable conversation, forced some even to see the error in their ways. Crazy, but true. And while I realize it can get in the way of our beloved sports, trust me, it's also our beloved sports that can provide the kind of sunlight that we absolutely need in moments kind of sort of like this. Mm -hmm. Extremely well said. Um, I watched the Netflix documentary on the FIFA corruption, so frankly, like nothing would surprise me at this point, but I asked this question in the morning meeting, and I'm not sure that I really know at this point, or we know, like, why would FIFA be capitulating to whoever is saying to not wear the armband or any one of these rules, the beer sales? Like, is, it, is it money? Is it intimidation? Stop. Is this money? Stop. They're, pro it. they're protecting the corruptors. Yeah. And it's been proven. And that's why Gianni Infantino is in charge now. Like, it's, you, you can look at the U.S. They put it through their court system. They saw it. You saw it in the, in the, in the Netflix. Yeah. It, that's, that's all it is. It's protecting the corruptors from the spotlight that we're talking about. It's like, it's and amazing. That's it. It's still going on. That, that's it. It's just, it feels like until FIFA is like disbanded, it's just always going to happen. And it won't stop. Which is but sad. And, and to be fair, it's not just FIFA. No, no. It's a lot of, lot of governing bodies. There's there. a lot of hypocrisy in the world in no 2022 question. because we see so much information right now. It can be overwhelming, but we can hopefully understand the paradox of, 
Yes, we can call these things out. Yes, we can see them for what they are. And yes, we can still enjoy the event that can do some good mm -hmm. while it's there, even though it comes at a ridiculously high cost. And we will see if James Sherman enjoyed today's matches. I think he will, because, you know, it's coming home, apparently. Well, he's got two teams in this competition. Yeah, he does he? He's, yeah, he's Canadian. He's Canadian, I got it. Yeah. I know, I got it. Um, there was another big match or game uh, yesterday. So we go from the World Cup to the Grey Cup. Nice. And it was a wild one in Regina last night as the Argos shocked the Bombers, denying Winnipeg of the historic three-peat. It was a crazy fourth quarter with the Argos coming back from nine down to win in 24 23 fashion. What was the craziest part for you? Yeah, there is a lot to go through here in what seemed like a chaotic fourth quarter. It didn't seem like a chaotic fourth quarter. It was a chaotic fourth quarter. You had two block field goal attempts. You had uh, Robbie Smith, who was the GOAT, had the horns, had a sack in his hands, face mask Zach Kalaros on a third and forever, and what would have been the end of the game gives them another opportunity, and then Robbie Smith is the very one, shout out Wilfred Laurier, who comes up with the block field goal. You had Chad Kelly replacing McLeod, Bethel Thompson, and Chad Kelly had thrown all of 45 passes all season long. He comes in, he's able to help the comeback, there's the block kick that ices it off of the foot of Mark Leggio. Uh, a guy named Ouellette is American. That crazy to <laughs> me. Uh, Enoch Mwamba <laughs> drops what could have been a huge interception, leads to a Bombers touchdown, then makes the interception, and he becomes the Grey Cup MVP and most valuable Canadian. It, there, there's so much there, but and it's not just because Enoch Mwamba is joining us a little later on, but I think his journey made a great cup in his rookie year over a decade ago, mm -hmm. didn't make it back until last night, and he is crowned both most outstanding player, most outstanding Canadian, and he gets the moment that a lot of people will remember for a long time. The most outstanding player in the 2022 Great Cup game, Enoch Mwamba. This is unbelievable. I, I, 11 years. 11 years. 11 years. I signed with this team. I met right there. He told me, you know, we're going to be champs. He told me I was going to cry like this. Look at me. It's not even real. Those are, those are victory tears, though. Hey, victory tears. Man, I can't believe this. All these guys right here, man. All these guys right here, these are the guys, these are the reason why I'm here. All I ever wanted was to be great. And I got some great guys around me. And he'll be it. So awesome. Enoch Mwamba will join us a little later on. We'll see if he's had time to take in uh, everything that's happened over the last 24 hours, including having his daughter join him yeah. on stage. Uh, while crying and picking up a cup. That's that's why we watch this stuff. It's yeah, awesome. I, I just also feel like the CFL likely picked up some fans last night because oftentimes the Grey Cup does not disappoint. It's usually a, a, a fun game. But watching that last night was amazing. It was, it was a great advertisement. I saw Christian Coloco tweeting about it. Yeah, I actually have that right here. Yeah. 
Uh, are you guys watching this Toronto Argonauts game? It's insane. I have it right there. Uh, I've seen the ratings over the last few Grey Cups, and I think you might be trying to draw a conclusion that might not be there. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the games are usually really good, the Grey Cup, but last night I thought was particularly good. Uh, okay, let's go to the Toronto Raptors, who are missing six of their regulars on Saturday against the Atlanta Hawks. But they still should have beaten Atlanta. Scotty Barnes missed a potential game-winning layup in the final seconds of regulation, and the Hawks caught the Raptors off guard as Trey Young found A.J. Griffin for a wide-open layup at the buzzer in overtime as the Hawks won 124-122. It was a heartbreaking loss, Timmy, but do you give the Raps credit for just keeping it close and pretty good play to end the game there, depending on who you ask? Yeah, I think there's some blown assignments there, and I think that you might expect some blown assignments given who was on the floor, but Scotty Barnes was part of those. Blow I know what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. We, mm -hmm. we opened the door on this show and many others around. It's not like we're splitting atoms here to see who would step up in these moments. And for those who missed it, no Siakam, no Gary Trent Jr., no Pesha Sachua, no Chris Boucher, Delano Banton, and Otto Porter out. And Malachi Flynn played a role here mm -hmm. that I'm not sure a lot of people thought he could. He hasn't been trusted by Nick Nurse since he basically arrived in Toronto. And you wonder if... That might give them some point guard depth, and it sucks because Delano Banton looked like he might be able to get some some reps, some turn there, mm -hmm. and he gets hurt too. So I, I think like Thad Young is a veteran, and you expect him to be able to do certain things. I don't know if I expect him to go nine to twelve from the field for his eighteen points, but good on him. And, and I thought Malachi Flynn's minutes were important, but. This is not the uh, try-hard league. This is the NBA. you you got to win. I know they're banged up. I understand they're in a spot, but this will determine where they end up in the postseason. These wins will count the same for wins 70 games into the season or 81 games yeah. into the season. And they let one get away by blowing some assignments here. Yeah, I mean, you give them credit, too, for a... a smart play being drawn up there like obviously with Trey Young having the ball in his hand coming across half court it's a gut instinct for OG I think to maybe come and try and you're looking at me like no it's just a blown assignment you think he's gonna heave it and OG was trying to maybe block it but I'm just trying to look for positives in that last play there yeah the full court pressure and the I just a lot of it I mean it's Trey Young and everyone's got their eye on Trey Young but, but you can't, can't leave a guy, guy yeah. wide open yeah I got it <laughs> I got it. You're being nice. Yeah, I was trying. I understand it. Fair enough. It's good to have you back, Positive my friend. Monday. Let's yes. go. <laughs> Still to come, James Sharman on the World Cup on and off the field. Enoch Mwamba, Grey Cup MVP. Most valuable Canadian as well on his magical night. Mike Fudo, ahead of a packed night in the NHL. And after the break, we break down week number 11 in the NFL with Brock Vereen. And Timmy's top five. It is Tim and Friends on a Monday. So let's get her going, kids. The dynasty is denied. The 2022 Grey Cup, the Toronto Argonauts. We're champions and nobody could ever take that away from us. On the run, Kelsey. Kelsey, touchdown! The hat trick. There's never a doubt with 1-5 right there, I promise you that. Magic Mahomes does it again, baby. David trying to come in with speed. Here he comes. McDavid shoots. Top shelf. He scores! Welcome back, 
friends, fitting with the World Cup underway, week number 11 in the NFL concludes tonight with the Niners and the Cards from Estadio Azteca in Mexico City. That's right, hosting two different World Cups and the NFL is quite the feat, but so is attempting to encapsulate an entire week of action in one segment. But we begin the journey with the best intro in all of sports, or just Timmy's top five. Timmy's top five from the NFL this week. Number one is what the NFL does to us. This ish is more puzzling than why all cartoon characters only have three fingers and a thumb. Just think about this. Last week, the Vikings go into Buffalo and beat a good Bills team, while the Cowboys blow a 14-point lead to a bad Packers team. So, of course, this week, the boys blow out the Vikings 40-3. What the... Number two, the Jets had more punts than completions, and yet Zach Wilson is out here saying, what? As an offense, though, I mean, when you guys are only able to score three points, the defense only lets up three points. I mean, do you, do you feel like you let the defense down at all? No. no. Mark this down as the day the Jets emotionally moved on from yet another quarterback. Number three might simply be, ask which Wilson is in more trouble. Zach or Russell? Okay, so Mr. Unlimited wasn't bad in the loss to the Raiders, but they scored less than 17 for the eighth time this year. The defense is good, maybe great. And if they had have scored 18 points in regulation every game, they would be nine and one, but they're not. They're three and seven. Number three and four is proof projecting quarterbacks is tough. Tyler Heineke, zero touchdowns last two games. Commanders, 2-0 in those two games. And finally, number five, projecting quarterbacks is tough unless you're dealing with Patrick Mahomes, who did it again last night, not only taking control of the AFC West, not only taking a stranglehold on a second MVP barring injury, but just a year after I said it, he crowned Travis Kelsey the best tight end ever. Suffice to say, I agree. I mean, obviously, Travis. I mean, it's Travis. He makes his greatest tight end of all time. All right, let me ask my next guest, former NFL safety co-host of that other pregame show on CBS Sports Ned. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Brock Vereen to the show. What up, Brock? How you doing? Better now. Look at you. Look at that beard. I'm, I'm, I'm living the high life right now. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm turning into Santa Claus as I hit my 50s here, uh, but I got a couple of years to go. It's a little, a little too gray for my liking, but I appreciate you nonetheless saying it looks good. How about this for a softball off the top, my dude? Is Travis Kelsey the best tight end ever? <laughs> no. No. He's not. But I will say this. He's the best at what the new tight end position is being asked, right? Travis Kelsey changed the role of a tight end. Gronk is the best tight end ever. And Gronk and everyone before him, the tight end position, you had to put your hand in the dirt. You had to block. You had to do this. And right. yeah, when... The other receivers weren't open, then you get the football, right? What Travis Kelsey has done is changed what is asked of the tight end position. The tight end now is a bigger wide receiver, and it works because he's too big, so you can't put a corner on him. You dang sure can't put a linebacker on him, and now he dictates how many DBs can be on the field at one time. You have to have a safety high, and you have to have a safety to cover Travis Kelsey because, like I said, corners are too small. So is Travis Kelsey the best tight end? No. 
of all time? No. Did he fundamentally change the tight end position? Absolutely. And that may not even be appreciated fully until he retires. Okay, so important distinction here. Because you said Gronk. I think of Travis Kelsey on the verge of his seventh straight 1,000-yard season. If I were to say to you, is Travis Kelsey the best pass-catching tight end, would you agree with that? I would, and right. I didn't even realize I would have to agree to that today. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, without question. Uh, again, he if if he was 30 pounds lighter, he'd be the number one wide receiver on his right. team, right? right? It's just that right. he has a big enough frame to be a tight end and throw a block every now and then. Yes, and now. I'll give you. I'll give you, you that. Patrick Mahomes, it, yeah, when, when, when you have Patrick Mahomes, it helps, but that's not his fault. He's just making the most of it. Yeah, and without a doubt, the role change, you lose Tyreek Hill. I mean, if you were to lay down two of the most important players to their team this year, I know it looks like Patrick Mahomes is going to win MVP, but Tyreek Hill has been remarkably important to the Miami Dolphins. You lost that. Kelsey just picks up the slack. He's already got 10 times. Like, it's ridiculous, the numbers that he's putting up. But I, I'm with you because blocking is important and Gronk could lay people out as a blocking tight end and make the catch when you needed it the most. All right. I, mean, I, I, I thought that I was going to try and like win this argument about best tight end ever. And you know what? I think we've come to an agreement, my friend. All right. So, so let me ask you the question that I asked in that piece there. Who's in more trouble, Zach or Russell Wilson? Zach. Zach Wilson is in a lot of trouble. It is funny that they're both in identical situations, right? Top defenses. The Jets' defense is for real. The Broncos' defense is for real. The problem is Zach Wilson hasn't proved it yet, right? He's still on a rookie contract. He can be moved on from much easier than that, what, $250 million, whatever yeah. money Russell Wilson has, right? And... It's not fair that we do this, but because Russell Wilson has played at a Hall of Fame level before, we all say, well, it's it was in him at one point. Maybe 1% of it is still left, right? At no point in his career has Zach Wilson shown any ability to be a starting quarterback. Now, I have my thoughts on how quarterbacks being expected to start day one being the new norm is unfair to these young guys, but the fact remains... No, Russell Wilson is not living the high life right now, but it's a much better situation than Zach Wilson currently finds himself in. I, I don't get it. Like, Lamar Jackson carried a clipboard. Uh, Patrick Mahomes carried a clipboard. Tom Brady carried a clipboard. Aaron Rodgers. Uh, yeah. All the great ones. Yeah. All the great ones had to wait. The only one who didn't was Peyton Manning, and he threw a million interceptions his rookie year, right? right. It's it's. It's unfair what they're doing to these kids. Like this is because they're 21 years old. Yeah, legally they're a man. You remember being 21. You were a child asking to be the face of a franchise. It's unfair, but it's the state of things. And Zach Wilson is playing for his job over these next couple weeks. I, I might not have been a child at 21, but I was an idiot at 21. I can confirm <laughs> that. <laughs> right. So Eagles struggle with the Colts. I mentioned. The last two weeks from the Vikings and the Cowboys in Timmy's top five. Who are you most concerned about in that group? Cowboys, Vikings, or Eagles? The Cowboys are in trouble because they're in the NFC East. And while the Giants disappointed yesterday in that devastating loss to the Lions, they'll get back on track. The, the, the Cowboys are going to have to scratch and claw. They are not as good as their record shows. 
they took advantage of a very overrated Minnesota team. So maybe my answer is both of them. The Eagles are going to be fine. Yes, you shouldn't only win by one point having to come back in the fourth quarter versus a head coach who's coaching in his second game ever, right? That is not a great situation. It is nowhere near the drubbing that the Vikings just took. Now, the Vikings are in the NFC North. The NFC North stinks. So they may have a better record than the Eagles by the time playoffs come around. Whoever they play that first round after that bye, so the second round, they're going to get their doors blown off. So the Vikings maybe are in a worse situation because they have that little shred of hope. The Cowboys are in more trouble, though, because they have to go through the NFC East again, and I don't know if I'm taking them in any NFC East game remaining on their schedule. So so you're telling me you have not a ton of faith in the Vikings? None. I have none. <laughs> they don't make it to the playoffs again because they're in the NFC North. That's right. three more guaranteed wins. But it's they are not a complete football team. And again, I, I think we talked about this the first time I was on. I actually feel bad for Kirk Cousins because he's been the same quarterback since he's entered the league. It's everyone around him who has convinced themselves that, well, we have Justin Jefferson now, we have TJ Hawkinson now, and we drafted Dalvin Cook. It doesn't matter. You have Kirk Cousins. He's been the same thing. He will always be Kirk Cousins. It's not his fault that the expectation keeps getting elevated for him when he's been the same guy. Stat of the day, the Vikings are 8-2 and two and have a point differential of minus 2. Right on the season. Oh, that my is un- I don't think I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> that is unbelievable. All right, I, I love Nick Chubb. I think that the uh, Jeff Saturday head coaching job means Jonathan Taylor will be back. Uh, but is, is Tony Pollard the best back in the league right now? Or am I just playing confirmation bias based on the last game? Here's what Tony Pollard is. He is the most versatile running back, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure plenty of you fine folks up in Canada don't know this, but in college, he played at a smaller conference, the AAC. He came out of Memphis. He was a dynamic kick returner. He was a, a dynamic running back, and he was a dynamic receiver. Not, oh, a running back that can catch. So he, he lined up at receiver and played receiver. There's no other running back in the NFL who can say that they did all of those things. What I'm praying for Tony Pollard is when the Cowboys offer you an extension at the end of the year, don't sign it. They have wasted your talent. Tony Pollard should have been a household name a year and a half ago. It took Zeke Elliott being hurt and Tony Pollard being pushed to the forefront for them to finally realize, oh, this is the guy. When everyone else has been saying, Tony Pollard is the guy, why are you not playing him? I'm praying he does not sign that extension. I mean, Imagine Tony Pollard in San Fran, in Miami, in Kansas City, in an offense where, hey, we don't really do positions. We just have athletes and we get them the football wherever they need to line up. Tony Pollard will not reach his ceiling as a member of the Dallas Cowboys. Tony, don't sign the extension. Cordell Patterson, Debo Samuel, people making uh, big deals out of those guys. And there's Tony Pollard just doing it over and over and over again. Hey, before I let you go, I know know you got some allegiance to the CFL. Uh, Did you watch the Grey Cup last night? I was on a flight coming home from New York, but you best believe when I landed, I looked up the highlights. What I love about the Argos is... 
Well, one, I love a comeback story, right? There were some yeah. ugly, ugly times. What was it? So, somewhere in the middle of the season where they only hung up three points. And to say that they were going to hoist the Grey Cup would have been unthinkable. They even lose lose to Winnipeg earlier in the year. I'm happy for it, man. I love an underdog story. And for a team with, what, six losses, seven losses throughout the year to be able to hoist it, it's further proof. That regular season record don't mean a thing. Is are it's are you hot at the right time? Right. Clearly they are. And incredible jerseys. People don't respect all the palettes of blue. Everyone just oh navy blue. No 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 no. We're exploring all shades of blue out here. I love it and I'm happy for them. That's why they call them the double blue, and that's why we call you a friend. Thanks for doing this, Brock. Always great catching up with you. Anytime, my friend. There is Brock Vereen. He of the CBS Sports Network, and the Big Ten Network as well. All right, when we come back, we'll dive into the plays of the week as we try and make that Monday a little bit brighter. That's right, kids. Your team lost in the World Cup. Your team lost on Sunday. We'll try and help you out with the plays of the week as Jimmy G was trying to help out his boys. Next on Jim and Friends. A little plays to close off our first hour. These plays will get you more excited than Golden State Warriors cheerleaders seeing Jimmy G courtside. <laughs> Can you blame them? Stud. No comment from you. All right, that's fine. What's crazier, seeing a Bigfoot at the Browns or Bills game or seeing the Penguins honoring Evgeny Malkin's thousand career game no, this is by doing yeah, this? Yeah, no, this is way, this is way better. Brilliant. Genius. What if, what if you had never watched a hockey game? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so confusing. <laughs> Synchronized uh, hockey. Mustard prevents cramps, but I don't know, uh, Steph. Yeah. I don't know. All right, let's get to the Raptors and the Hawks. Scotty Barnes, some good, some bad. Here's the good, Ooh. kids. Seen this a couple times now, this sweeping hook dunk. That's his go-to. Seems like it, at least. Uh, LeBron loves the one-hand sweeping hook. Yeah, that's right. Thomas Bryant getting it down. <laughs> and from one face to the next face, Ja Morant. Get better soon, Ja. Goodness. The arc on that thing? That's, that's, I honestly, I think that would be a world record for highest in-play shot that went in. How would you make a world record for that? I don't know. They make it, Guinness has a world record for everything. <laughs> Joel Embiid, nice block on Giannis. I don't know if he blocked uh, the rim later, but this was the dunk oh. of the week. Arkansas's oh. Tevin Brazil. Oh. Yeah, I don't have anything to say. That's just good. climbing yeah, the ladder. Good. Right, let's skate into hockey. That's an ODR. Oh, this is the best. These That's a bucket list thing. Oh my goodness. Oh, you know, it'd be scary to see Connor McDavid out there. It's actually just scary to see Connor McDavid. Period. What are you supposed to do? If you lose concentration for one second, you're done. That's it. You know, it, it's really it's Connor McDavid and Sean Corrali, right? Connor McDavid and Sean Corrali. Oh. <laughs> How about this? He's been like really good lately. How about this? Woo. Career high of 14. Yeah. Oh, I think that's going down this year. It's good highlights. Uh, Cam Talbot uh, getting way back from injury. Look at this save. Yeah, that's one way to do it. I used to do that all the time, by the way. Yeah? Yeah. That like, was you? All, all the time. Yeah. On that ice, too. Don't feel too arena. bad. Uh, the Devils have won 12 straight. Don't feel too bad because... Uh, Ottawa has a 13.5% chance of getting this guy. I guess, Connor Bedard. I know, like, oftentimes we hype up the top prospect. He, he's a phenom. All right, this week's edition of F Around, and we find <laughs> out. 
is how you deal with a streaker. Oh. You want to run down the sidelines at an NCAA football game? You better keep That's your how it's head done. up. Yeah, that is how it's done. Yes. You got jacked up. Najee Harris didn't get jacked up. He got into the end zone with the hurdle. He, they need him to be better. I mean, this is nice, but he's got to be better, no? I just think that the entire offense is him, and they just stack the box yeah. against him. Uh, here's David Njoku. That's some airtime. Yeah, no, he's a crazy athlete. Oh, love that. Uh, Bears Falcons. One-handed grabs, pretty common now, but they are still nice. Cole Kmet from Justin Fields. We lost another close game, but put up some big numbers. Cole Komet, tight end. You don't see a tight end do that very often. That is sick. And we finish off the plays with something we already know. Being a reporter is not easy. Sometimes it gets a little wild as well. Decimating our entire ecosystem and disrupting the circle of life. And with the rise in drought cases, it is up to us to be guardians of our own natural world, save our wild species, and provide a home. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Alvin Kaunda reporting live in Kenya. Here's a direct quote from Alvin. Are yeah, you ready yeah. for this one? I wasn't going to let anything stop me until the baby elephant put its trunk in my mouth. <laughs> the laughing, be honest, the laughing, yeah, that's good. That's good. I see the head, the head tilts. Um, it's better that he laughed. Like, it's better for everything. It's better for better TV. It's better for content. It's better for us. Without a doubt. You just got to go with the flow. Just embrace everyone. it. Yeah, every once in a while, just go with the flow. Don't be so serious. And he did until he got a trunk in his no, mouth. That was so good. On the other side, we will tee up the night on the ice. Plus, we'll reset the World Cup story with three games in the books today. Four of them total. And discuss them. Plus, Canada's preparations for their opener less than 48 hours away. James Sharman joins us in studio next on this Monday edition of Tim and Friends Live Coast to Coast on Sports Night. Tim and Friends, time for Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends, time for Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe. Friends of the show. Thank you very much, Team Dogs, back here. Hour number two on Tim and Friends. We've got a full hour across the network before handing it off to Hockey Central and Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Mike Fuda is on the way, plus Grey Cup most outstanding player Enoch Mwamba, along with Sportsnet soccer analyst James Sharman in mere moments from now. But first, let's tee you up on a busy night in the NHL, starting with the Toronto Maple Leafs, who hosts the New York Islanders, a game you can see across the country. Leafs have seven points in their last four games and will turn to Eric Schalgren in that tonight ahead of a busy week. Ilya Samsonov will skate tomorrow and go on the Leafs road trip, but it is unlikely he will play this week while Nick Robertson healthy scratch once again. The Isles have lost two in a row after winning nine of 11. Today also marks the three years exactly since Sheldon Keefe took over from Mike Babcock as the Leafs head coach. And a lot has happened in the world since. All right, let's get to the Oilers. They visit a red-hot New Jersey Devils squad. Catch it on Sportsnet Oilers, 7 p.m. Eastern, 5 local in Edmonton. Oilers getting a dazzling overtime winner from Connor McDavid in Saturday's win against Vegas. And will once again start Stuart Skinner between the pipes. Devils looking for a 13th straight win, which would tie a franchise record. 
Flames facing the Flyers. You can see that one on Sportsnet. Flames, Calgary winning a spirited game in Florida on Saturday night while the Flyers have come crashing back down to earth having lost six straight games. Brett Ritchie is out of the lineup for the Flames while Jacob Markstrom will get the call in net. In Winnipeg, Jets looking to bounce back from a Saturday night loss to the Penguins as they host the Canes. Dylan DeMello will miss a third straight game while backup David Riddick will get the start in net. You can catch that one nationally. Sportsnet West, it is the Jets in action tonight. In Vancouver, look, Canucks, the look to make it three straight wins as they take on the Golden Knights. I hope you got that. You can see it, Sportsnet Pacific Regionally, Thatcher Demko will start for the Canucks as they try and build on Friday's win, which Bruce Boudreaux called their best game of the year. All right, we're getting closer to Canada's World Cup opener now, under 48 hours away from Canada's first men's World Cup game in 36 years. And I'm smiling for a reason as the team prepares to face the number two ranked team in the world, Belgium. It's looking positive on the injury front. Both Alfonso Davies and Steven Estacchio took part in training today. Davies said yesterday he is good to start against Belgium, but we will see. Meantime, three games earlier today in Qatar. Let's start with the three Lions. England, Euro 2020 finalists, have not won a World Cup since, sorry James, 1966. 43rd minute, already 1-0, decent start. Saka, off the bar and good. 21-year-old follows Jude Bellingham. 19-year-old's first goal of the World Cup. It's 2-0, then first half stoppage time. Raheem Sterling out of midair, 3-0 at the break. 62nd minute, Saka, the brace. Youngest player to score two goals in his World Cup debut since Franz Beckenbauer. He was German. 4-0 England, 89th minute Sterling centers for his old man city teammate Jack Grealish. Taps it in. England blows out Iran. 6-2 is your final. Staying in Group B, Wales, United States of America playing in their first World Cup match since Brazil 2014, while Wales making their first appearance since 1958. And you could tell how much it meant to them and their fans. An amazing scene at the start of this one, 36 minute. Uh, Christian Pulisic calms him down a wee bit. Great ball for Timothy Weah. Georgie Sun, first World Cup goal. USA up 1-0 at the break. Kind of sort of controlling things. Ben Davies, 64th minute, comes flying in with a header. Matt Turner, great reaction to Harriet over the ball. 80th minute, though, Walker Zimmerman goes right through Gareth Bale in the box. That is what they call a penalty. Bale would take his own penalty, and Bale just buries. Wales' first goal at the World Cup, 64 years. More great scenes among the Welsh, and they draw USA in game one. 1-1 is your final. Group A, Senegal, Netherlands, third match of the day. Netherlands back in the World Cup after failing to qualify in 2018. 84th minute. We were scoreless until Cody Gakpo 
That's right, kids. Dutch footballer of the year. First shot on target, 1-0. 86 minute. Pop Gay tries a shot from distance. Six foot eight keeper Andries Nopert stretches out, gets fingertips to it, and the Netherlands would add to the lead. Memphis Depay. Shot stop, Davy Claussen. There to bury the rebound. Netherlands win their first game. 2-0 the final. All right, four games in the book. Not quite World Cup tonight, but it is James Sharman who joins me in studio. Here we go. And we will take it. What's up, Sharms? Hey, I'm doing good, Timmy. World Cup tonight. Yes. Taking me back a few years later. <laughs> I'm going old school to the score just for myself, for James, for Sid Sixero, a <laughs> couple others, and producer Thomas Dobby. All right. Let's start with, uh, we're going to run the gamut from where you were born to where you call your home and native land Ooh, now. Okay, sure. So we'll start with England, yeah. where you were born. That has to be a dream start for yeah, the Three Lions. Yeah. yeah, I mean, England make a habit of making those kind of games really difficult for themselves. <laughs> In previous World Cups, games that they should win and, and they don't win. They can't break teams that, that have a deep block. But today, I thought England were just outstanding. Um, the midfield just dominated. The youngsters, Jude Bellingham, yeah. um, Saka, these kids are going to be you know, the names in war football for years to come. They're so young. Bellingham's 19 years of age. He's yeah, already captain Borussia Dortmund. Um, so, yeah, really impressive performance. Listen, Iran, you know, you have to tip, tip your hat to them as well. What they're going through off the pitch, the distractions they're suffering through at the moment. Um, you saw the anthem. They, they weren't singing the lyrics. It was quite emotional. Um, but from a footballing standpoint, uh, what a fantastic start. In, in a group that England should win, but we've said that before, haven't we? And they haven't. So uh, from my, my native land, mm -hmm. um, I'm very happy. All right, so let's, uh, let's walk through this a little bit because the kids are all right. You mentioned Bellingham and Sacco, and, and, and they are the first two, 21 and under, to score goals for... England in the same game. It's unbelievable that the kid, Phil Foden's coming off the bench. Yeah, I mean, there, so I there's some depth here that I don't think a lot of teams have. It's a great point. When, when I saw in that second half, I think the triple sub, Grealish came on yeah. with Foden and, uh, and Callum Wilson came on soon after as yeah. well. I mean, that is significant depth, which this team might not have had in, in previous years. Uh, really impressive. I mean, many people thought that Foden should have started. This, this match. Yeah. And Gareth Southgate, the knives were out for him already, weren't they? And then it turned out he got everything right yeah. today. You know, it's, it's very unfortunate for, for Gareth Southgate. He's probably leaving the job, I would think, after this World Cup. I mean, who wants that job for more than, than two cycles? Um, you just, it's a miserable existence. You're being hammered. <laughs> you can't win. You can't lose. Yeah, it's just an awful predicament to be in. But hey, today you got it right. Yeah. And we'll see what happens in the next match. Right. Speaking of knives out before we move on from England, Harry Maguire, a bit of a knock, leaves the game. Some English fans think that they're better off without Maguire. <laughs> I thought he played a pretty good match. Yeah, he was fantastic. And yeah. this guy is so maligned. He's, he's a player that has been dropped from Manchester United. Um, the fans are screaming for Southgate to drop him as well. But for some reason, he's one of those players, when he puts an England shirt on, he grows in stature and right. becomes a really good player. Today, he could have scored from a set piece, hit the crossbar, defended really well, and then, you know, got an issue, uh, maybe a, a slight concussion. They're saying it's blurry vision. Southgate says he'll be just fine for Friday, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, nowadays, I mean, right. you know, right. protocol, schmodocol, right? right. <laughs> it's a bit scary, but yeah, he played really, really well. Good for him. Yeah, and we'll see if he gets back into the lineup. But also, the dream start has to do with the rest of the group. When, when you win, and you win by four goals, and then you see uh, the Welsh and the, the United States draw. I mean, listen, England are the favorites to get through in this mm -hmm. group, without a doubt. And it's a pretty good draw. But to see the United States and, and the Wales 
Uh, tie one one. Yeah. That's pretty good too. It helps. They're playing the states next. And I tell you, if you're England, you watch that game. You're not you're not scared. No. Maybe of Wales you are because Wales they hate England, yeah. right? And they love playing England. Even right. though England's had their number the last couple of years, um, but there's a lot of off the field X factor emotion us against them feel yeah. um, but but the states were, were good for 45 minutes and that was about it look naive thought at times today yeah. and England shouldn't fear them uh, there is some politics in this group that we might get to a little bit later on I, I have uh, like every game there is politics <laughs> in this group it feels like France all over again we'll get to that in a flash I, I have the Netherlands as a bit of a dark horse but that was before I heard that Memphis Depay was out then Memphis Depay is back in, yeah. and it looked like they needed Memphis Depay to get them some sort of offense. He comes on, they score two goals. What, what do you make of the Dutch performance? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm much like yourself. I think of the Dutch, and I think of um, Hullet and Rijkaard yeah. and Van Nistelrooy and Van Persie and Davids. I'm thinking, where are these players now? Yeah. Right? I don't know if they exist. Now, there's some young players coming through. Yakpo scored that goal today. A really brave goal as well. A huge goal. I mean, he could be a star for the future, absolutely. But um, I'm not sure what to make of them just yet. And they need to have to pay because he's the one guy that can unlock defenses. He's got a sore hamstring, which is why he didn't start today's game. But he came on, like you said there. He provided a lot of service and was really the difference in this game. But, I mean, Yakpo there, he could have had his head taken off by Mendy. I mean, yeah. that was a brave, brave, brave header. And, you know, Senegal, they were the better team in that match. They deserve to get something out of that match yeah, at least. So if you're Senegal, you're upset. If you're the Dutch, you're pretty happy with that. Especially without Sadio Mane, like the tough oh. break to lose with your best player. With him in that team today, they've, yeah. they've probably won the match. They were a Mane great away. chances of money away. Oh. Not bad. Well, pretty bad. I apologize. <laughs> All right, let's get to Canada. I, I know it's hard to get information from John Herdman, but it sounds like a healthy 11 for Belgium. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. I mean, listen, Alphonse Davis said yesterday, I'm good to go. Now, I'm not sure whether his, his manager wants him to say that on <laughs> national television. You know, maybe keep him, you know, guessing a little bit here. Yeah. But it seems good. Uh, Eustachio was a question mark as well, but he's training again now. That's key. Even Milan Boyan was a question mark, or yeah. was he a question mark? Is it head games, mind games? Right. I don't know, but it seems that it will be a pretty strong 11, yes. All right, so Romelu Lukaku is out for Belgium. And again, I, I said this off the top. You already mentioned it. The mind games that take place in what is such a, like, this is a sprint. This is no marathon. You could be out in two games. If you play this the wrong way, you could be out in one game. Um, is this part of the mind game, or do you expect no Lukaku for I, two I, games? No, I expect him out. I mean, he's barely played this season. Yeah. He's went back to Inter Milan on loan. Chelsea it just hasn't worked out so far um, they've got depth obviously that yeah. Canada doesn't have Michy Batshuayi will probably step into his shoes he's a pretty good player people will judge him from his time at Chelsea which didn't work out but he's a very good player Belgium will be just fine yeah. without Lukaku you know especially you don't want to put a guy out there who's 50% even though he's the big name right Canada might actually appreciate that but you don't do that they can they could they can beat Canada without Lukaku, and I'm sure that's what they're telling each other. Yeah, Bashway scored for Besiktas. He's now at Fenerbahce. Yeah. He's scoring, and he might be able to tell some of those Belgian players, hey, uh, Hutchison's pretty good. Watch out for him. Yeah. Kyle Lahren's pretty good. Spent some time before he went to Club Brugge uh, as well. So Michy Bashway might actually be okay for Belgium. Yeah, listen, let's be honest. I mean, he would start for Canada, wouldn't he? Yeah. Right. So well, actually, well, well, forward well, depth. There's a formation. <laughs> yeah, forward depth. <laughs> that is David, the one spot. I put David ahead of Batshuayi. Yeah. Yes, I would do that. Yeah. Uh, Larry, nah, I don't yeah. know. We can debate that perhaps. Okay. So can Canada win this? I mean, we've seen the odds pop up here. Jesse and I had the conversation off the top of the show. They are, they are big-time underdogs in this one. 
Can they? And if so, how do they win? They can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's question marks over Belgium, right? It is at the back. They are aging. Now, they're bringing some younger players in now, but Toby Odovarel, for example, will likely start. He's in his mid-30s, not very mobile. And what's Canada's strength? It's out wide the pace right. to attack th these aging legs. So there's definitely, they match up quite well in that regard. So yes, Canada can get a result against them, but we don't really know. We haven't seen Canada play this level of competition maybe ever before, right. you know, certainly in a World Cup. You know, this hasn't, we haven't seen it. We don't know. We saw them play Uruguay in a friendly, and Uruguay is a better team. Right. So we just, there's so many unknowns right now with this Canadian team in this level of competition. Um, they have the ability to break and, and score big goals with the game breakers, but I'm more concerned, I think, with the back of Canada, the okay, defense. So what, what tactics do you expect from John Herdman? Because that, to me, is a key, especially against a yeah. team like Belgium. Are you going to try and play to the skill that you have? And, and go for goals, or are you going to get behind the ball and hope for the counter? No, you know, you, you play 3-4-3, three, three, I would think, which is five at the back yeah. when you haven't got the ball, which I imagine with Belgium, with the possession base they play, they'll get most of the ball. Um, but we saw them against Uruguay. They went at them. Yeah. They didn't sit back too no. deep. They went at them. Same I with Japan. You, you must have, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was speaking to Stephen Hart, former coach uh, recently, mm -hmm. and he's saying, I expect them to go at them 100%. You cannot sit back and just you know invite attack after attack they, they know what they can do on the break of course we know that the strength of the pace out wide right. but uh, I, I really think they'll, they'll try and go at, at Belgium where possible all right uh, we've already run the gamut and I tried to suggest that two things off the top of the show can be true at the same time we can absolutely smash FIFA and still enjoy the games yeah. because we're put in this spot repeatedly but is is it just me or does it feel like it's getting harder and harder and harder to separate the politics from the sports. Yeah, it is. You know, they say sports and politics don't mix and they shouldn't mix, but they do. It's as simple as that. And they have for years. They have for years, yeah. We're seeing today, just the way FIFA managed things, like this armband fiasco. Um, now, the fact that FIFA have done this and have said, if you wear this armband, we'll give you a yellow card, which is very important in World Cup. You mm -hmm. don't want Harry Kane on a yellow card, for example. Right. Right? It's very important. Um, maybe the spotlight's being shone on it now brighter because they forced them not to wear them. I don't know. We see Grant Wall here, yeah. uh, the U U.S. based journalist who, who got basically detained for wearing that T-shirt. You know, the World Cup shouldn't be in Qatar. They've got an appalling human rights record. You know, they, they bought the World Cup. We know that. But here we are. And a FIFA forced the issue, don't they? I think. How, how can you avoid it? Yeah, it's it's. And listen, it's not just Qatar. I, I remember when Sid and I were doing the podcast back in the day, and the same day that they announced Qatar, they announced Russia. Russia, yeah. And everyone knew what was happening 12 years ago. Everyone knew why this happened. Everyone shook their heads and said, "How are you going to play in 50 degree heat in the summer?" Well, guess what? We've got our first ever World Cup in the winter. Yeah. Guess what? We have air conditions. Like every piece of, of, of fiber that FIFA could do to make this work for Qatar, they have gone and done. And some of it just feels like a step too far or 18 steps too far. I remember that, that announcement back in 2010 and, and speaking to you guys about it and thinking, well, yeah, it's crazy, but there's no way they'll go through with it. Right. Some, some sense will prevail at some point in the next 12 years. And it didn't. Here we are. Right. And the World Cup's here. And then you hear the new FIFA president, Infantino, who apparently is new clean FIFA, apparently, right. talking about how you know, there's nothing wrong with it being Qatar. European countries should be ashamed as well. Completely irrelevant to right. the fact that it's in Qatar. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned this morning on Twitter, I said they, are, they make themselves the most easily dislikable 
you know, national, international body in, in pro sports. And IOC is hated by a lot of people, but yeah. FIFA. Yeah, IOC right there, close. Right, close. But when you compare migrant workers <laughs> and being gay in some parts of the world to having red hair and freckles, I think, <laughs> I think yeah. yeah. Charmin, always appreciate you dropping by. I know you're going to be doing a bunch of this over the next little while as we cover the World Cup. And uh, can't wait. Less than 48 hours away from Canada's first. It's going to be good, mate. should be fun. Uh, There is James Charmin. By the way, GE Appliance Canada is fiercely committed to the growth of soccer in this country. And to celebrate and cheer on the Canadian men's team as they compete in Qatar, GE Appliances is creating an Instagram AR filter called hashtag KeepUpCan. With every head bump of the digital soccer ball, a virtual cheer will be sent to the men's national team with the live data being fed into the Canadian meal room in Qatar. The team will see and feel the support while they are halfway across the world. Use the QR code to see the filter and play along. All right, time for a quick break. When we come back on the other side, Grey Cup champion, Grey Cup MVP, Enoch Mwamba will join us to reflect on his historic and emotional night, along with that of his teammates. And we'll do that next, right here on Coming All I ever wanted was to be great. And I got some great guys around me. A great moment for Enoch Mwamba and a great moment for the Toronto Argonauts who add to their Canadian Football League record with an 18th Grey Cup and amazingly their third in the last 10 years despite the Stamps and Bombers dominating in the regular season. Now, I saw pictures of Willie Jefferson walking around in a Kobe jersey before the Grey Cup in Regina. But instead of the Black Mamba taking center stage, it was a Muamba instead. Grey Cup champ, Enoch Muamba. Enoch, welcome to Tim and Friends. Been too long, my dude. How are you? I'm doing amazing. It has been too long, man. Yes. Uh, wow, what a time. Uh, has it sunk in yet for you? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not, Tim. We we just landed about 20 minutes ago, and I was just uh, talking with some of the guys, letting them know how, uh, you know, surreal it still feels. And, and I thought really by now we we got to start to believe it more and more. But, my goodness, it was just an amazing moment. And, um, you know, every once in a while, every – Maybe 10, 15 minutes or so, you start to replay certain, you know, plays from the game. And, uh, you know, you smile because it was such an amazing moment and and an amazing game. And then having your daughter, Thea, jump on stage with Darren Detition. Homie, that is all the feels. Like, what? now that you kind of can look back at it, like, this, this will be something you'll remember for the rest of your life. It's crazy. The rest of my life, Tim. The rest of my life. And uh, you know what the crazy thing is? You know, prior to going, we knew how cold it would be. My wife and I were discussing, hey, are we going to, should we come? Should we just watch it from here? And, um, you know, I spoke with the right people. We were able to kind of get them in a box. So, you know, our youngest is, is 13 weeks old. Right. And so, that, you know, that's really who we were um, thinking about the most. And uh, uh, Pinball, you know, helped me tremendously with that and uh, took care of the family as usual. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing, though, a lot of people were asking, you know, are you sure you want to bring your family? I'm like, yes, absolutely. I don't want them to freeze while the game is going on. But 
I want my family there for the confetti, Tim. It was the confetti. That's all I wanted um, to have my family beside me as the confetti was falling. And, uh, you know, when you say it, you don't realize everything that comes with the confetti (laughs) and just having my wife there, um, the support that she's been throughout, you know, this season, my career really, you know, she doesn't get enough credit. And uh, not just her, there's a lot of wives and and significant others on the team who are really close together. You know, that's the reason why we are here, where we are, where we are, because of the tightness that we have as a a team. And, uh, you know, for for them to be able to share it with me as well, um, you know, it was unbelievable. And then when Tia came, it just, you know, you saw what happened. So good. Uh, it does take a village, without a doubt, and that village uh, helped the Argos get to the top and helped, helped you become just, I mean, it's crazy, and it's your teammate who's the only other person, but just the second player ever to win Most Outstanding and Most Outstanding Canadian. Have you, have you been able to process what that means to you to be one of two to be able to call yourself MVP and Most Valuable Canadian in the same Grey Cup? I have not, Tim. <laughs> I have not, and I think it's going to take uh, you know, some time for me to actually process it and understand everything that's happened over the last, I don't even know if it's 24 hours yet. <laughs> um, it has been uh, amazing. And um, to, to to be able to, to share it with my family, like I said, but also just, I was, you know, talking with Andrew uh, last night. And I was like, Drew, I remember when you did this, when you won and you had both trophies in hand. I promise you, I never... You know, I never even imagined myself doing the same thing, ever. And uh, for it to happen the way that it did, you know, I just wanted to get a great cup. I wanted to contribute with my, uh, to my team's success. Um, and I wanted us to be great. And, and, and here we are. You know, here we are. So, um, but, but Andrew is that kind of guy, you know. And yeah. uh, for me to be even mentioned in the same sentence as him, you know, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. I told, I told some guys yesterday, like, this guy didn't have to come back and play. You know, his career, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a legend, a living legend already, Tim. He's a living legend. And he didn't have to play. He didn't have to win another great cup to embellish, you know, his career. But he did that because he committed to us. And uh, he loves the game and he loves us. And so for, for us to have a guy like that on our team, man, it's something special. Out there hurtling dudes, too, like a young pup. Yeah. Like a young pup, man. <laughs> this guy, like, you, you just don't know. He just keeps going. and, and But that's the heart that he has, right? right? It's the heart that he has. It's the character behind him. And, uh, you know, the, the, the persistence and resilience that he has, uh, that he possesses, that uh, makes him special. You, you went to your first uh, Grey Cup as a member of the Boo Bombers. They, they are, uh, I mean, one of, if not the... Uh, marquee franchise in this league right now consistently good did the fourth quarter feel as chaotic as it looked from the outside in it was definitely chaotic but but the thing is we were kind of prepared for that you know we were prepared for the chaos we were prepared for um an intense game um the biggest thing is we had total confidence in ourselves um i think we walked in that building in that stadium um believing in ourselves we didn't know how we were going to come out with the victory, but we knew we were going to. And, um, you know, Coach Dinwiddie, Coach Mace, uh, Coach Mickey Donovan did an amazing job of preparing us, um, not only X's and O's wise, but also just mentally speaking, managing our emotions. Um, we were, um, you know, we were prepared. And, uh, you know, once everything happened, I think there was a, a touchdown that was returned. And, uh, 
uh, you know, it was tough because yeah. it kind of makes you doubt for a second. Like a lot of people thought it was over then. Yeah. Are we going to do it? But I looked at the guys in the, in the, on the sideline and we were just, we kept believing, we kept playing. And, uh, I think there was a missed, uh, uh extra point. Yep. And we, I looked at the scoreboard. I did the math and we were down nine points. And I was like, I turned to the guys, and I was mic'd up. It's going to come out at some point. But I turned to the guys, I said, guys, we're going to win by one point. And, and look at the final score, you know. Um, but it, it speaks to the resilience. It speaks to the mental toughness. Um, I often speak so much about mental toughness. Um, and, and that's what it was, you know. Um, regardless of what's happening in front of you right now, believing that you can overcome. And, um, you know, that's what we did. Because I promise you, Tim, if we didn't believe in in, uh, in ourselves and didn't have the confidence in ourselves, I promise you we wouldn't be um, where we are today. True in football and in life, my dude. True in football and in life. Uh, listen, some crazy stuff here. I mean, two block field goals. I want to get into Robbie's stuff in a second. I haven't even mentioned Chad Kelly, who threw uh, all of 45 passes all year. Like, what's the thought process when you see him forced into the game in the fourth, not seeing a ton of them all year? I think one start, 45 passes, and all of a sudden he's pressed into service in, 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 the, fourth, in the fourth quarter down nine. Listen, um, again, it's, 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 it's the mental game, right? Because now you're like, okay, well, we, we came in, in this game confident. Uh, we believe in ourselves. And, uh, you know, but when we think about this game, we think about the things that we, we, we believe and know we're going to accomplish. We're thinking Mac is our starting quarterback and he's going to finish the game. And, you know, and so when someone goes down like that, we, um, you know, it, it, challenge you, it challenges your, your, your belief again. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, what we did is we rallied behind him. You know, and uh, we know he's a special player. Um, we know he's what he's capable of, but no one outside of our facility, outside of our locker room, really and truly knows what he's capable of. Um, and so we, we rallied behind him. We encouraged him. And uh, he came out there and showed out, you know. Um, and, you know, and, and, and this is what I'm saying. Like, there's so many different pieces to that, that game that, you know, continuously comes back to mind. And I think of Leak, I think of the, the amount of returns yeah. that he had and, yeah. um, you know, how, how much he contributed to this game. And uh, I, uh, you mentioned Robbie, you, you know, you talk about Chad. There's so many, like a, a few guys already started to say, you know, is it too soon to talk about a back-to-back? I said, guys, can we soak everything up first? Yeah. Like, let's, and, and Leak was sitting in front of me. I'm like, look, I'm like, as I'm looking at him, I'm thinking of, Every return he had, and and I told him he should have been a little bit lower on the on the shot that he took. But you know, <laughs> uh, look at that. Like he, there's so much in that game that happened that I'm I'm not willing to to go there quite yet. Right. Uh, at some point I will, but I'm like, man, let me soak the whole game up. I want to go home. I want to enjoy it with my family. I want to watch it again. Um, and uh, you know, awesome. maybe after that we'll start to think about you know uh, a back-to-back chance. Uh, all right, so you know I got love for my Canadian college players. I got a couple quick ones for you here. Shout out St. FX. Laurier's Robbie Smith from face masks that could have cost you guys the game to game-saving block field goal. That is a pretty massive emotional swing. Have you talked to him about where he went in those moments? Oh, yes, man. First of all, now it's not just Mr. Robbie Smith. It's Mr. Fourth quarter Robbie Smith. Cause he, and I was telling the guys, guys, I was behind him. I literally saw his hair turn blonde. He turned Super Saiyan. 
Um, he just started making play after play after play. And, uh, you know, he really could have ended the game if he didn't, you know, get that face mask yeah. on the quarterback, which was a good call. That, that kind of stuff kind of uh, happens sometimes. But, listen, he started making so many plays for us. And uh, I asked him, hey, Robbie, what were you thinking on that block? Like, how, how did you get to that? And he said, you know, I just felt like um, I was letting the team down and uh, I needed to make a play. And, uh, you know, he, he went on the other side with uh, Jaguar Davis. And uh, next thing you know, Jaguar kind of dented the line and uh, he, got a, he got an opportunity to kind of slide through and uh, put his hand up. Unbelievable. Like, unbelievable play. All right, before I let you go, uh, I know it was in a losing cause, but did you catch your CNFX squad in the UTEC Bowl? I did. I did. I have an amazing picture. We were on the bus after our walkthrough, and uh, we um, we were we were watching the end of that game. You know, everybody obviously knows that I played for CNFX. Or uh, Vince Magri, who works at a front office for us, uh, you know, was he was playing the game on his phone. You know, I was right next to Jim Parker, and we we're just talking about it. How amazing it was for them to get to that game, and and uh, it was super. I think it was tied at the point where. We, uh, we started, we picked it up from, and, uh, you know, unfortunately they fell a little bit short. I had an opportunity to speak with Coach Waterman briefly um, before our game, which was after theirs, and, uh, you know, he wished me well for the Great Cup, but I also um, told him that we watched it, and, and you know, uh, it was a valiant effort. Uh, but, you know, uh, unfortunately, obviously, they, they, they fell short. So, but you know what, they got something special brewing over there, so I'm, I'm super excited for them and everything that's going on over there. And you know what? Hopefully I'll get to, to get an opportunity to bring the Great Cup over there. Nice. Uh, a little mentorship back home to the alma mater and a little mentorship to the kids in Mississauga who watched you uh, not only grow up but win in double blue. Uh, congratulations on the last 24 hours. Congratulations on the entire career. And, yes, take a couple more hours. Enjoy it. Watch it with the family before you start thinking of next year. I thank you so much for doing this, Enoch. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks for having me on. All right, be well and all the best to the family, okay? All right, absolutely. There is uh, Enoch Mwamba, most outstanding Canadian and player of the game in the Grey Cup and uh, real human being, Yeah, Jesse Rubinoff. Sounded like a salt-of-the-earth interview. Yeah. Without a doubt, an assault-of-the-earth guy. Uh, by the way, Vanier Cup will go Saturday in London. The Western Mustangs fall short, one game short to the Lal Rouge or So it'll be Saskatchewan, as you saw, who beats St. FX, taking on Laval in London on Saturday. Right. From one big man to another, as Alec Manoa is Serge Ibaka's guest on the latest episode of How Hungry Are You? Presented by Samsung Bespoke. This, avail this episode is now available on sportsnet.ca, Sportsnet Now, and YouTube. Here's a little taste of how hungry are you. Who is the worst cheater in baseball history? Cheater? Yeah. Like somebody cheat the most, like uh, the worst in history. Who's the worst? Uh... Two big men. Two big men, and there's a clip from the episode that's already making the rounds online. Oh, really? As you can imagine. But no, he's a quote machine. We know he's a quote machine, right? Well, well he's, not, he's not scurred. No, he's not scurred at all. So John Boy and Talking Yanks uh, tweeting this out. Alec Manoa says Garrett Cole is the biggest cheater in baseball history. And if you thought it was just John Boy and Talking Yanks, that's not true. Starting nine, also tweeting it out. So this is a quote that you can imagine is going to go pretty viral 
online. I think uh, we could, uh, well, we got to wait until the end of the show to watch it now, but you can watch it now on all of our platforms. Go Very get it. Very nice. Hungry. Look at that. How hungry are you? Alec Manoa, uh, Garrett Cole. Got something to do with spin rates, maybe, sort of. Spider tack, maybe. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And, and maybe uh, coming past the Audi sign. Yes, that too. Mm. Oh, yeah. Did, I did. Yeah, that slipped my mind. Yes, that makes uh, sense. Are the Jays going to get Cody Bellinger? Uh, it's intriguing. It's an option. Dalton, all right, we're going to discuss this a little later on. Coming up, though, after the break, we'll tee up the night on the ice. Mike Feudal will drop by. Can the Leafs keep it rolling against the Islanders? Will the Devils make it 13 straight as they host the Oilers? How much speed is on the ice in that game? And will the Canucks be able to change the narrative? We'll discuss it all with Mike Feuda next, right here on Tim and Friends. As we've been telling you for a little bit today, it is a busy night in the National Hockey League. Ten games in the show, six Canadian teams, including a couple on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Here to help us break down the entire schedule is our friend Mike Fuda, who joins us from the home office. What's going on, Fuda? How are you, man? I'm great, Tim, and I got to tell you, as I said, got a, this is total bandwagon, double blue, <laughs> and double blue all the way through for you. I know how proud you are of your Canadian football, but I had an American friend over yesterday, and he asked me if I was going to watch the Grey Bowl, and I actually, uh, I, I watched it, and I was just absolutely amazed with the character of the team. That was exciting, exciting to watch, great for the city. It, it never seems to disappoint the Grey Cup. Like, I mean, listen, there have been some duds along the years, but that was an exciting game to the very end, and uh, we just got some ratings, evidence that uh, a few more people watched than last year, so hopefully this is something good that the CFL can build on. I hope so. Yeah. The only thing I thought was strange to me, I know we didn't talk about it, was the guy that's starting quarterback. Once he went out, it was like he was completely voted off the island. So he was, <laughs> it wasn't like he was even a part of it. It's like this new guy came in and he, he was awesome, but it was like the other guy just left the building. Yeah, and that was their most outstanding player nominee, McLeod Bethel Thompson, who goes down. Chad Kelly comes in and uh, leads them to the promised land. A good story, and obviously. Uh, Mike played in a golf tournament and got a towel for free. All right. <laughs> let's let's break. I used to work for the Argos, Timmy. Come on. Did you work for the Argos? I used to deliver the stats for Gestetner at CNE Exhibition Stadium, running up and down, dropping off the stats. When Bob, I was waiting last night for Terry Greer and Bob Village. Godridge Holloway to come running out. That is awesome. Uh, all right, so let, let's get to the early games. And shockingly, the early games today when it comes to Canadian teams are both the Flames and the Oilers, both 7 p.m. Eastern start times, both available on the Sportsnet family of channels. Uh, Oilers are on Sportsnet Oilers. Flames are on Sportsnet Flames. It's pretty simple. Uh, let's start with the easier matchup of the two, Calgary in Philadelphia. Philly seeming to struggle after a good start. H has Calgary found it yet, Mike? I, I don't think they found it yet. And I, I give Brad Treleving incredible. For the last few years, every hole that has been needed to fill it. He's gone out and been proactive and filled it. And I love the look of this team uh, on paper. I mean, obviously, you know, when you lose a guy like Chillington, that's one thing. But still, they've got great defense. I think they need some more consistency in net. And um, I know, I mean, Daryl Sutter has put two Stanley Cup rings in my finger. But when he gets uh, stubborn about stuff and it's, it looks like he's kind of picked uh, Huberdo out of the hat as somebody that's he's got to get in his kitchen. And I think sometimes a little bit of that stuff 
when a new guy comes in and he's already emotionally in a different spot and gets himself down, he needs a little bit more public support. I mean, he went from the best best passer in the history of the team to a guy that couldn't find a line. So I'm sure the team will rally around him and Daryl will get him going, but that's a guy that you want to have happy. He's on a long-term deal. And I think the biggest thing with them is they need consistency out of Markstrom. And they'll get there, but I still think this is the best Canadian hockey team. Hey, hey, listen, we might be talking about him in game time at the end of this show, but does Adam Ruzicka's play kind of sort of mitigate that Uberdo hasn't found it yet? Well, I mean, Daryl's always been – somebody comes into the lineup and, and produces, like this guy was healthy scratch to start the yeah. year, so clearly he wasn't somebody in Daryl's good books. But he, he's not a silly man. If somebody comes in and does the job and fits well – and it's like anytime you make a trade and you sit there in your office boardroom and put it up on the wall, you're just hoping and praying that chemistry exists between elite players. And some players, it just happens fluently. And you never, like we used to think, like Marion Gabbert came in and we thought he was going to be a great fit with Andre Kopitar. He was for the playoff little run there. But after that, it was like salt and pepper. They just couldn't get along on the ice at all. So it's not an easy fit. And again, they've just got to battle throughout it. Again, Brad Treloving does a great job of filling holes and you got to find chemistry. And you got you need three strong lines anyways. The bottom line is uh, the little words like they tra- they traded an elite player into Chuck for a couple good players. Well, Huberdeau's been elite, and uh, so is Uyghur, and I think they'll find their home, and they'll be big, big parts of the Calgary Flames' success down the stretch. Uh, obviously, the Oilers got a tough matchup in New Jersey. Devils playing as good as anyone in the National Hockey League. Stuart Skinner once again gets the call for the Oilers. Are you concerned about what's going on between the pipes and Edmonton? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know Jack Campbell well, and and I wanted so much for him getting finally getting his big ticket to come on strong. But it's too important a position. If someone comes in and gets the job done, you've got to ride a hot hand. And Skinner's been excellent, and Jack, is, is, is by his own volition, hasn't been up to par or even close up to the standards that he's set for himself. My biggest concern with the guy with Jack, and we saw it in Toronto, is he's his own worst enemy. And I think sometimes in the Canadian market, once or twice coming out and blaming yourself and saying how pathetic you are, the fans kind of love that accountability. But as the book gets older, they just want you to stop the puck. And eventually they start saying, yeah, you do suck, okay? And uh, we agree with you. And that's just something about the mental toughness and going into another media market. I think what he went through in Toronto, his teammates love him. He's got to find a way to get his game back because they're going to need two strong goalies down the stretch. And the loss of Vander Kane's poked a huge hole where they're going to have to rely on a lot of scoring up front because, again, they've got a very average defensive unit. All right. Uh, speaking of average defensive units, I thought that's exactly what the Toronto Maple Leafs had and maybe even below average. But in November, Mike, they've really settled down, haven't they? I give Sheldon Keefe a ton of credit and I give Kyle Dubas credit because while certain teams were airing out their coaches and, you know, in Vancouver and even Dorian, you know, with no championships, talking like he's – you know, protecting DJ Smith when there's no defenseman and all, like defense is the core of the thing. I give him credit for sticking by it. Something happened after those first two games where Sheldon had that roll that back. It was almost like he said, screw this. If I'm going down, I'm coaching my way. Uh, he's been very aggressive on the bench. I think, you know, I don't think I love the fact that Toronto's ready to award Jordy Ben the Norris Trophy winner. Uh, he's <laughs> come in and fit well the old highs and lows of being a Leaf fan, but he's not a Jake Muzzin. I don't think we're going to see Jake Muzzin play again this year, uh, and that's a sad story in its own. But I do think it allows some cap flexibility for them to go out and get a defenseman, a defensive defenseman that can play some hockey for them. I don't think they need something like a Klingberg. If you watch Klingberg closely, he's terrible defensively. He gets like he gets 
hot temperature flashes when he has to play in his own defensive zone. That's not something the Leafs need. No. They need to need something, whether it's a Shen or a or a, uh, you know Susie if Seattle would think of parting with them. But the biggest thing for me again is going to be the health of who's ever in net. It's not so much whether you criticize a Matt Murray, it's whether you know he's, he's going to be available. And uh, you know Sam's not off to a great start. He gets hurt. Matt Murray is proven when he's healthy, he's a great option in net. But you've got to be just holding your breath every morning in practice. That he's going to make it through. It's like we us with Freddie Anderson. Yeah. It was the same with Freddie Anderson when he was with the Toronto Maple Leafs last yeah. year. We were talking about Freddie Anderson winning a, a Vez, uh, sorry. The Vesna in, in Carolina, yep. two weeks left in the season, there's a groin injury, and we can't find Freddie anywhere. So not a not great kid, but when you ride a horse like that with a history of injury, it's more important to be healthy and know when your teams can support in the morning skate that you're not going to go side to side and you're going to be out another four weeks. And that's where Matt's got to get to a comfortable level with his health and his teammates. The rest will follow suit. Hmm. Luke Shen returned to Toronto. Very interesting, Mr. Buda. He's six. He's no different than for me. He's a for, for me. He's a very similar option to, to Jordy Ben. He's yeah. advanced his career because he doesn't worry anything about stats. He still plays tough. Uh, in spite in spite of being a great skater, he's a right shot D that yeah. makes things free in front of your net. He'll fight for a teammate if he has to, although that's not one of his strengths. But being a but character kid is certainly a strength of his. Yeah, and he can play with the good player. Uh, as yeah, he proved with Quinn Hughes. Yeah, you can him up. Like, I think he's out of his element playing with Quinn Hughes. And I mean, I think that's something that Vancouver's got to address, but he can still do it in a short period of time. And he's got championship experience. I mean, he was in and out of the lineup with Tampa, but he won a ring a couple. And, you know, he got into games and he was abil- he has that ability because of his character and the ways he's adapted his game. And again, very key that he's a right shot defenseman. I find yeah. that the further you yeah. move along and Jordy Ben, God bless him, when you're playing the offside, in your later in your career, you're just a minor penalty waiting to happen. Mike, always great catching up with you. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, Tim. There Have is a great night. Mike Fuda, who is a big friend of the show, always coming in to help us out. Talk a little hockey. All right, we've got to get to the last break. We are behind. Game time is next before sending it off to Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Tim and friends getting you set for your game day. Our Monday tip of the cap goes once again to University of Illinois running back and London, Ontario native Chase Brown. He had 140 yards and two touchdowns Saturday as the Illini almost upset undefeated Michigan at the big house. Michigan kicked the game-winning field goal with nine seconds remaining to improve to 11-0 in a very controversial game. Brown, though, rushing leader in the NCAA this season. Wow. And Saturday, he surpassed 3,000 career rushing yards, becoming just the second Illinois running back to reach that mark. All right, busy night on the network. As we've said numerous times, we hope your game day starts here. And it's an early game day for both the Flames and the Oilers. You can see it on SN Flames, SN Oilers tonight. Islanders and Leafs, Kings and Jets, both available nationally. Rogers Monday Night Hockey later tonight. Viewers in the Vancouver region can see the Canucks host the Golden Knights. Also, basketball available on Sportsnet now. But first, speaking of the Bulls, it's game time. That is right, Timmy. It's game time. A busy night on Sportsnet, as you mentioned, and a busy night in the NHL with 10 games on the schedule and six Canadian teams in action, you said, in addition to the games you mentioned. On Sportsnet, the Sens also visit Eric Carlson and the Sharks. What are you focused on when it comes to the Canadian NHL team? All right, for all the consternation around the Canadian teams, and maybe a few fan bases should relax. 
Like I always try to figure out where the Oilers rank since hiring Jay Woodcroft as their head coach uh, early this year. And I realized not only did they have the third best record in the league since the move, but you know who was fourth and fifth? The Leafs and the Flames. Like three of the top five teams in the National Hockey League since February. Like this is about a 50 game sample size. Our Canadian teams, it's almost amusing the ups and downs surrounding these three teams and maybe more specifically their fan bases, but when you look at what they've done on this board, I understand the playoffs may be different, especially for some, but there are some pretty good numbers for some pretty good teams over a pretty good sample size. I feel like that's on us. <laughs> like the it's media or us? Well, no, the media in general. Like it's the Canadian teams. It's what we talk about every day. So naturally, the ups and downs will be more pronounced than. But American I go to teams. Twitter and I see fire this, fire that, get yeah, rid of this. We're in trouble here. Every game, it's just more people. I feel like if you dig deep enough on and any team, you'll probably see fire this, fire that, for any team. But the fact that it's Canadian teams is pretty. Can, right I, can I say we all need to calm down on that? Yeah, sure. fans and media. Love that. All right. Uh, Connor McDavid did it again Saturday, scoring the OT winner against the Golden Knights in spectacular fashion. McDavid now has 16 goals, 34 points on the season, leading the league both categories. And earlier today, speaking of Jay Woodcroft, he talked about McDavid's great start to the season. I'm aware that we're witnessing something special. Um, a generational superstar playing at the you know, in his prime of his career. Um, what I get to see that you don't get to see, you get to see the final product. I get to see what the work that goes in into that final product. We are witnessing a true superstar, and it is special. Do we start talking about pace when it comes to oh, Conor McDavid? This again? Or are we worried given what pace he was on last year? Yeah, what did I say last year? He was on a 200-point pace. He was on, But this was like first 10 games of the right. year. We were at 200-point pace. Right now, it's a 73-goal, 155-point pace. Yeah, he does it. He gets to 155. What about the goals? Because that would be the most since McGillney and Solani both had 76 in 92-93. Like, there is a concerted effort here from Connor McDavid to score goals because I believe that it opens up others yeah. once he starts scoring goals because now guys got to pay even more attention to him. And they just lost Evander Kane for a significant amount of time, someone who's a 30-plus goal scorer. So even more than he already was trying to score, it's going to be on McDavid to, to do that even more. If he stays healthy... I like 60, 70. Go for it, Timmy. Come I, on. No, I got I got to wait a little bit longer. Okay, I'll say yes. But we'll he's see. so good. Yeah, he's done. Uh, that was Petrangelo, as Sebastian yeah. Moran said behind the camera, that he just danced. Unbelievable. All right, that does it for us. Rogers Monday Night Hockey, David Amber and the crew. Up next, we'll talk to you again tomorrow.